0: Are you an HR department of one trying to figure out how to balance task and strategy while keeping up with changes in regulatory compliance? Do you need a fresh outlook on old topics? Then stop what you're doing, grab your coffee and get ready to recharge. If you have people, you have problems to solve and things to do. Your host is Brenda Neckvottle, a 20-year human resource professional ready to explore the HR industry with veterans of business and life with fresh eyes and new ideas. Learn about the rapidly evolving changes in employment law around the country, as well as new tactics to deploy and build engagement in your workforce. If you're looking to implement new practices to make your job easier in HR, then this podcast is for you. Hey
1: everyone, and welcome to the Best Practices in Human Resources podcast. It is going to be yet another awesome episode. Uh, we've got a very special guest who is joining us actually from England. So uh, it was a pretty awesome uh, ability to talk to him and cannot wait till you guys get a chance to hear what's going on with that. If you are Coming aboard for the first time, and you've never listened to this podcast. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, it's I'm really excited that you are here, and um, really looking forward to uh, having you take away some pretty good nuggets of information. And if you guys are returning time and time and time again, thank you so very much. You guys absolutely rock. I you know what you're the reason why I do this, and I really, really, really appreciate the fact that you're here with me every week. So thank you so much. Um, so I am here to help share with you the what and the how in human resources because I'm in the human business and that means that there's a greater number of dynamics in the workplace to balance and manage. And no kidding, like to like what we're existing, what we're experiencing right now, right? But most importantly today, we're going to be talking about what employment law changes are happening across the nation. I'm going to share with you later in the show where you can get access to these. Um, Our main feature today is dealing with fear-based conflict and resolution with Ben Gallagher, who's, like I said, is over in England. Really awesome, awesome guy to talk to. And uh, I'm going to talk to you about some upcoming events and announcements, and then how you can get my best practices delivered directly to your inbox. Now, folks, before we go on, the information that is available through this podcast is actually for informational purposes only and not for the purpose of providing any form of legal advice. You should contact your attorney to obtain legal advice with respect to any particular issue that you're facing. If you don't have an employment attorney, go ahead and reach out to me and I may be able to refer one to you through our friends and our affiliates over at Jackson Lewis. So good news, no poster updates still. (laughs) Sorry. I actually have people that have said that poster updates are the favorite part of this whole thing, but um, have not seen any. Uh, I think we're still experiencing some delays on getting that information out simply because of, you know, just the whole coronavirus and taking legislators out of seat for long enough to be able to produce what needs to be produced. But we do have some really awesome headlines and some things that are taking place in employment law uh, related across the nation. So I'm going to share with you where you can find these plus a lot more a little bit later. So first off, the Supreme Court of the United States has reinforced the minstrel exception in the employment dispute, which involves religious institutions. So it's kind of an interesting thing. And what it is doing is what they've done is they've Um, expanded the application of the First Amendment Religious Clause to employment decisions made by religious institutions. So pretty interesting information if you're out there uh, working for some sort of religious, uh, not organization, but an institution. There's a very specific difference. The IRS has temporarily, I can't even say it, the IRS has temporarily relaxed the cafeteria plan mid-year election change and FSA rules that provides other employee benefit relief Uh, Also, the NLRB specifies recommended protocols for manual elections during the COVID-19 pandemic. The Labor Board has also approved rules allowing company search of employee vehicles and employer-provided electronic devices. This is huge, especially with what is going on with civil unrest and the threat of active shooter. And I've got some really great information on active shooter that I'm going to talk to you guys about a little towards the end of the show. Um, there's also been some guidance that clarifies COVID-19 testing coverage requirements for employer health plans. <clears throat> there's also mid-year safe harbor uh, design changes in, uh, that are taking place in the COVID-19 world. And then also getting out of a mask-free card based on the ADA. Very ADA is very hotly contested across the United States right now. So... California may actually pass a measure for stronger pri- uh, privacy rights than the California Consumer Privacy Act takes place in this upcoming November. Also in San Francisco, the emergency ordinance requires layoff notices, reemployment rights, and reasonable accommodation for eligible workers as well. Over in Colorado, they've expanded the Emergency Paid Sick Leave Act to require virtually all private employers to provide paid sick leave benefits And the Colorado governor has expected to sign a bill providing new whistleblower protections related to public health emergencies. Down over in Florida, uh, the new mandatory e-verify law is in place. So if you are not using e-verify in Florida, you're going to have to jump on top of that. Also, new Florida law shortens the time for filing certain types of discrimination claims as well. Over in Illinois, uh, what employer's There's an article out there about what employers need to know about the Chicago travel quarantine order that's currently in place. And then popping over to its neighbor in Indiana that there is some new physician non-compete agreement requirements that actually became or took into place effective on the 1st of July. Up in New York, uh, New York uh, City Commission on Human Rights Issues has, uh, has, excuse me, has issued a final rule regarding the exceptions to ban on pre-employment marijuana testing. Again, interesting conversation, interesting topic. Um, Over in Pennsylvania, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court expands the ability of certain employees to bring discrimination and harassment retaliation claims under uh, their whistleblower law. Down over in Puerto Rico... Uh, State Insurance Corporations issued the 2020 to 2021 Risk Classification Manual with important modifications included. Over in South Carolina, there is the new Lactation Support Act that is in place. And here in Virginia, there is the new Virginia Wage and Hour and Pregnancy Discrimination or Accommodation Laws that took place effective July 1st. And it significantly expands the employees' rights. So that is what we've got going on across the nation. You can find all of these call-outs. I've added this a few weeks ago. Um, it's getting rave reviews. I've added all of these call-outs to the bestpractices.work website. All you need to do is just, when you go to the bestpractices.work website, click on podcast, and then you can access this week's articles. Now, all of these articles, overall, every one that I get each and every single week, which can sometimes amount up to, like, over 100. Um, those are now featured on the member resource page, and I'm going to explain to you in the back third of the show how you can get access to that.
0: There are approximately 2,500 members of the U.S. Special Operations community who transition out of active-duty military service every single year. The Honor Foundation's dedicated its mission to serving these elite individuals on their journey, to prepare for life once they take off the uniform. In the past few years, we've begun our own journey to reach this number, launching three physical campuses in San Diego, California, Virginia Beach, Virginia, and near Wilmington, North Carolina, along with a virtual campus to reach members of the community anywhere on the planet. I spent 26 years in the Special Operations community as a SEAL. I graduated from THS program, I served on the board of directors, and now I'm proud to lead this organization into the future to continue assisting these transitioning service members and their families. Our dedicated team, our world-class program, and our incredible tribes of supporters are standing by to help THF alumni and future fellows, and are committed to providing the best possible support system and resources to better serve this community. Our vision for the Honor Foundation is clear to impact every transitioning service member from the U.S. Special Operations Enterprise through our programs and support, and to be a catalyst for overhauling the entire DoD transition program. It's a big task, but the community deserves it, and we're driving full steam ahead to make this a reality. If you've been inspired with what the Honor Foundation's done in the last five years, I welcome you all to join us as we craft the next chapter in defining what it means to serve others with Honor for Life.
1: Today, folks, we have literally gone across the pond, so to speak, and uh, we have a a pretty amazing guest that's on, and I'm really excited to talk to him because I really couldn't think of a better topic to talk about than everything that's been going on over the last few months, and um, what we're going to do is talk today about dealing with fear-based conflict resolution with Ben Gallagher, who's in England, so we get somebody who's got a really cool accent on top of it, and being smart. (laughs) Good morning how are you?
2: Good morning I'm very well thank you how are you?
1: I'm great thanks thanks Good. for jumping on I appreciate it. No
2: worries thanks for having me I hope my accent makes up for my contribution.
1: <laughs> Whatever.
2: <laughs>
1: I have a, a friend of mine who's been on the show a few times her name is Lauren and she's from New Zealand and we talked several times a week and i told her one day and i said you know if i keep hanging around you i'm gonna start sounding like you after a while so yeah
2: watch out
1: watch out well i really appreciate you coming on and if you could just kind of help give people a quick kind of a a rundown on your background of what it is that you do so that they kind of get some context of before we get into our, our subject that would be wonderful
2: Sure. Okay. Great. Um, so, as as you mentioned, my name is Ben Gallagher. I am the co-founder of um, BA. and BA is a, a creative management consultancy. In essence, we work on really complex business problems by using creative tools that originate from the world of culture and the arts and creativity. And I set up the business with my business partner Andrew Missingham about six years ago and and over that time we've realized kind of what we do i suppose and and what we do is is answer three questions for our clients the first question is um what's going on in the world around us and that's very often a question of research and insight um understanding what's happening out in the world and affecting consumer behavior the second question that our clients ask is where do we go next and Um, That work is very much about strategy, defining visions and missions and ways forward, um, new ambitions, new directions. And then the final question is, how do we get the best from our people? And that's very much about team and organizational culture, um, helping clients to form, maintain, grow really strong working cultures, either within teams or across whole organizations. Um, and at times, between teams that are coming together, or businesses that are coming together, even. Mm-hmm. So that's really, in essence, what we do. We work across the world. Um, we have studios in Shanghai, Portland, and London, Portland, Oregon. That is. Um, and uh, and as I said, this is my this is my first business. Prior to to this, I worked in the um, uh, corporate philanthropy space with the Nike Foundation and um, prior to that in advertising and prior to that uh, I was a journalist so I've had a winding path
1: yes well you know success never does come in a straight line right
2: hopefully not at least it doesn't
1: in human resources that's for sure (laughs) yeah (laughs) well that's awesome so a lot of so you and I had a really great conversation a few weeks ago Mm. and talking about you know, what happens in the workplace when we're dealing with fear-based conflict. And and most, now I don't know if you've ever heard this philosophy before, but um, I've always, I heard this years ago from a friend of mine, and I really bought into it. And what he taught me was that fear and anger really are the same emotion. And if you think about it, anytime you get angry at something, it's usually because you're afraid of losing something. and. when you're afraid of something, you do tend to get angry about something. So it was kind of interesting to see mm. the correlation between the two. Yeah. Have ever heard that before?
2: No, you know what? I haven't actually heard it, it um, articulated as such. I, I, I can definitely see that being something that happens a lot. Yeah. Um, we quite often talk about um, anger, especially being expressed when people feel that their values are being transgressed. Especially yes. in the workplace. Yes. And often, when we work with clients to help them form their values, we help them to do that by talking about what would make them angry if they what things would make them angry if they were transgressed. Mm-hmm. And so, I think there's a kind of interesting third element to that, which is where do your values lie, um, and and are you in a position of trying to defend them, um, or are you in a position of trying to, um, exert them and how that plays out with, with, um, fear and anger. But we do see often that fear and anger are very closely aligned and, and the way that people show up, um, I think often if they show up angry, you have to try to unpick whether or not it is what's behind that. And often it is fear of something happening, um, that perhaps they feel is out of their control, um, or that they don't know how to deal with. Um, but there's a there's likely a vulnerability behind the anger.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and I think all too often, we found at least that, especially in high-performing teams, um, vulnerability is not something that's as encouraged and welcome as it should be.
1: No, that's um, very true.
2: It's, it, it, it feels that often, you know, in an organization with a winning mentality that, the definition of win is kind of beat all others. And, um, and that there's a perception that in order to do that, one, can't, one must be strong um, and be that kind of typical traditional form of, of a winner. Um, and vulnerability is not really part of that. And so a lot of our work actually is to help people to feel confident being vulnerable. Um, because that can certainly allay anger.
1: So let's. I'd love to take a little bit deeper dive into the vulnerability, if you don't mind, because I have, I, you know, I look, I'm in my past, time that I have, you know, made an error, or at least one that I recognize that I screwed up on, I have, I've never had an issue with saying, hey, listen, I'm the first one to admit that I've made a m- this mistake. Mm-hmm. And in, in my attempts to make an exchange, I'm trying to make it right. I have allowed myself to be very vulnerable with people who are angry at with me and found out that Mm. it is actually used against me. Right.
2: That's interesting.
1: Yeah. it Well, and that was the dynamic of that particular team too, is Mm. not so much that they would use it against you. It's just, you know, they would talk out of both sides of their mouth. They would talk about how this really great culture exists. And, you know, when you, when you own up and you take, and which is what I did and they would just Mm. continue to, you know, berate and net, you know, just pound on your head and (laughs) stomp on your your emotions a little bit more. And, and that was kind of interesting. So that was a very hard lesson to learn with that particular group. That vulnerability isn't necessary. It's not a strength by any stand by any stretch of the means. You had to really stand your ground Mm. quite a bit.
2: Yeah. And and I think that all of the, when, we, when you think about co- company culture and team dynamics, um, it's very nuanced, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you have a set of mm-hmm. principles or values that you hope to build a culture around. And the how those different things show up and in what measure, obviously, should be dependent on the context and the situation and the moment in, in hand. Um, I think we believe, you know, B&A really firmly that, building a culture around empathy and um uh safety and vulnerability enables you to get the most out of um the broadest range of people within your team Mm -hmm. and i think that um you vulnerability is isn't just about saying you know what i was wrong on that occasion it's it's actually about saying uh here i am here are my strengths, here are my weaknesses. These are things I don't know, and these are things I do know. Can you help me? And critically, vulnerability has to come from the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, one of the phrases we often talk about is a fish rots from its head, right? <laughs> and in, in, in an organization, the way that leaders behave and the, the behaviors that they model are very powerful to everybody else. And so it's no good expecting a team to be willing to be vulnerable if the leadership themselves aren't willing to be vulnerable too. And that's a really big challenge because for many years, we haven't been taught as leaders to be vulnerable. We've taught, been taught to have all the answers and everybody in the room looks to you for all the answers. And we really believe that, well, firstly, we believe that's a problem because then all the answers only come from one or very few people. And in fact, the answer might lie somewhere else or the solution might lie somewhere else in the room. Um, and therefore, you have to be able to create the, the safety and the safe space for that to be the case. Um, and that what that takes often is a leader to say, I don't know the answer, but I'm looking to you as my team to help me find it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, sadly, vulnerability can still be berated. And, and in some teams and in some contexts, it's not welcome. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do really firmly believe that it's a critical part of building a really healthy, strong culture where people truly know each other and respect each other.
1: Right. I agree. And, you know, when people respond to to any type of conflict and and when they, especially when they respond very quickly and Mm. usually around, and that goes back to, I mean, this is what I see. This goes back to that fear and anger are the same emotion kind of thing is that, they're usually afraid of something. And so that's what drives that knee jerk response. So they've heard something, and it's usually something involving ambiguity of some kind. Like they don't know what the yep. outcome is. And so now all of a sudden their defense mechanisms come up, the walls come up, their arms go around, they're working. It's just mind, mind, mind. I don't know what to do. So I'm just going to bear fangs and, you know, don't cross my barrier. Yeah. That doesn't work.
2: Yeah. <laughs> no. It doesn't work, and and I think the reason that it doesn't work is because it's led with the emotion. Right. Now we're all emotional beings, right? Absolutely. Things make us feel stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's how we're made. Um, the challenge is, is that when you lead with emotion, as the the other humans you're trying to talk to respond with emotion. And and so therefore, I think one of the things that you have to do when you're starting to feel like your values are being transgressed. You're getting angry about something, about a situation. You feel anger towards somebody. Is mm-hmm. to take a step back and go, right? Let me think this through. What is the behaviour that occurred that led me to feel this way? Yeah. And and then what is the impact of that behaviour? The potential impact of the behaviour that is making me feel angry, or making making riling me, or making my emotional state change. Then you think about, well, what is my emotional state? Is it anger? Is it frustration? Is it concern? Is it um, ups? Is it sadness or or whatever else? And then you you need to think about well, what do I, what I want to change? How is this going to change? And and that structure is something we teach a lot. Um, The idea of when you want when you need to give somebody feedback in any context or deliver a challenging message to somebody, it far, serves you far better to start with the behavior, the thing that happened that is unequivocal. You did this thing. You said that thing. Then you, then you talk about the impact. The, the, the possible impact of your action or of your words or of whatever you did is X. And then you introduce your feeling about the matter. And that made me feel. Mm -hmm. because what you're doing is you're you're creating a logic flow and a rationale for why you're feeling something because and then you talk about the future and as a result of it what i would really like is that you try to manage your language or you treated so and so with a bit more respect whatever it is right by delivering it in this way you um you allow the emotion to exist but you don't allow it to dominate and lead and you essentially Help the other person to have empathy with you, be empathetic, to see this from your perspective. And I think the challenge with anger often is that it clouds, it clouds judgment and it clouds clarity and truth, um, and so nothing gets resolved.
1: It does, and you know, I think there's another significant piece of this, and this is this goes back to my number one live and die rule in life, in life, not just in human resources or in business. And that is in the absence of information, people make stuff up. Now, I learned that from a boss of mine many years ago. And yeah. it is absolutely true. And, you know, we all come from a different place in life. We, we you know, have different influences and in how we're growing up and whatnot. But the one thing that we don't like is we just simply don't like not knowing anything. We just, human beings don't do well in, ambu- in, in ambiguity. They're not no. comfortable being uncomfortable. And so, therefore, they make these you know, they have these outrageous conversations in their head. And I'm not saying outrageous as in it's inappropriate. I'm just saying outrageous as in all of a sudden. And this is this is in particular very common with frontline employees specifically. And it's it's not bad. It just is what it is. But they'll start coming up with all these reasons as to why the company made a decision it made, even though maybe the company explained it to the point that they should, that was a level of appropriateness. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, somebody gets exercised some form of discipline on them because they did something that was out of line. And all of a sudden these, these conversations like, well, this person did this because of this, this person did this because they don't like what I said and blah, blah, blah. blah. And it's just, it's amazing how much it just creates this wadded, knotted, just festering thing (laughs) that exists, it's tangible or intangible, but It's unbelievable how it happens and, it, and it's normal human behavior.
2: Yeah, I think, I think you're right. People interpret situations by, by applying their own circumstance to them, mm-hmm. right? And what does this mean for me if I don't um, have all the information I think I need? Or how am I going to fill in the gaps? What am I going to fill them in with? Well, I'm going to fill them with, with, in with my own values and assumptions right, about the situation. I would say, though, that I think we come across situations all too often where, in particular, leaders, leadership or the the company, so to speak, have communicated a message. The reaction amongst the workforce um, hasn't been positive when perhaps it was expected to be so or, you know, there's been challenging kind of reaction to it. Uh, And then the company turn around and say, yeah but we told you and the point is um transmission is nothing reception is everything if you are transmitting a message you have to think really carefully about how it is received
1: yes and you might
2: think you've been saying the right thing but they the people you're talking to might have been hearing it in a totally different way yes yeah and and i think therefore it's on the part of the company or the leader to have the empathy for the recipient of the message to really understand how it's going to land with them, and we just quite often see it, it, it happen. And then, when people kind of talk it out and discuss it post fact, post moment, they they realise that the intention was not as such, but it just hadn't been communicated effectively enough. So we we, we try that we've really tried to work hard on this this idea of transmission is nothing, reception is everything. Um, yeah. Now, of course, everybody's going to apply their own values. Mm-hmm. And their own situation to things as well um and you everybody likes a good old moan about work as well, especially in England um, <laughs> but and 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 it, as the company and as leaders again, you have to be willing to accept that that's always going to be the case. but so long as you work really hard on the principle of transmission is nothing exception is everything, I think it can really help,
1: yeah. But something, something that I've seen, too, and, and I often experience it with individuals who may not necessarily realize, I mean, they may think that they're being empathetic in general, but they, they tend to push their own agenda a little bit harder. Um, and you know what? When you have somebody that's like that, their timing isn't always the best. <laughs> no. You know? No. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, I can't talk to you about it right now. And then they continue going on and and keep saying something. It's like, okay, I hear you, but I can't handle that right now. And, and then they just kind of keep pushing their agenda. And you just want to club them and say, well, part of, I can't do this with you right now. Did you not hear? Yeah. That's what's going on yeah. inside of you. Right. So that's, that certainly is one element because, it, you know, as we can kind of talk through some of these things, we're, you know, bringing some of these problems and these challenges up to the surface. So that way we can, identify the right resolution and, you know, what kind of expected outcome that we wanted This, But this is also something that, you know, this really does, this particular thing really happens, it impacts a, a person's ability to be empathetic. They can only be empathetic up until a certain point because like if you have two departments that are trying to work together or two teams that are trying to work together, each team has their own agenda. And even though one team might have to reach out to another team to say, hey, listen, we need your help with something. But all of a sudden they could be dealing with a crisis or they could be dealing with something. And next thing you know it, just that innocence of reaching out and saying, hey, listen, we need to get this on the deck or on the calendar or whatever, inadvertently adds fuel to that fire.
2: Um, Yeah, it can do. It can do. I mean, I think that in the case of kind of teams working together, again, you've got to start from a place of – trying to understand each other each mm. other's priorities each other's ambitions um and once you've done that then you can start to talk about what the shared poss- possibilities the the possible um uh benefits of collaborating and working together in uh, and considering each other would be above and beyond being kind of lone and so and working solo right mm. um and of course there are moments in any organisation when you know something's challenging or there's an urgency or something like that but if you've done the hard work to really understand each other and continue to understand each other's priorities and needs um then it goes a long way when you have to make that call to say i really need you to dig me out of this or this one's really urgent you know i think it, it makes me think a lot about the kind of culture change framework that we work with in the and and it, it basically has three stages um the first stage is see the individual be the individual what that is about is see the real person in front of you or the real people around you understand them and enable them to be themselves right the second stage is then unite the team what um, does it mean to bring this collection of individuals together what does that look like what possibility does it create what is this what are the strengths basically what are the the weaknesses perhaps of that group And only then, once you've united the team, can you tackle the problem together or tackle the challenge together. And so often we see teams having done no work on who they are as individuals and no work on who they are as a team try to tackle these challenges together, tackle these challenges, and it falls over because they don't know each other and they don't Mm -hmm. trust each other and they don't care for each other um, and they don't understand each other. And so I think that often those moments come when there are two teams battling it out for priority or they need one thing from the other because they haven't done any of the pre-work or the, you know, the, the important, but not urgent work to really understand each other,
1: Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah.
2: Um, And, and, and that's why if you go into a three day offsite and try to tackle the biggest challenge on day one morning, the first morning of day one, you're not going to get anywhere. You've got to, Take the time to want. You have to want to learn about each other, care about each other, see your your collective value, and then you can start to get after the really difficult things. Because the difficult things require the difficult conversations, and that's where you need to have the trust in each other and the belief in each other that you're going to be able to get through it together.
1: Absolutely, and you know what? If if anybody who's listening, who's never really sat and done this type of exercise i don't personally recommend that you try and necessarily take on something as big as an offsite on your own for the first time because it can go
2: no.
1: pretty bad <laughs> i've okay. seen i've seen a couple of offsites where somebody has relayed a they've conveyed a concern or you know like what you're talking about they're bringing something forward and all of a sudden the leader's just sitting there like a deer in headlights cuz he doesn't know what to say and yes, you yes. know, he didn't know how to facilitate to the next stage. And all of a sudden he's like, okay, well, that's good. And then nothing really got resolved to it. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, wow, we had a real opportunity to, to tackle something and we didn't just simply because he didn't know what to do. And, and I, you know, if you're doing an offsite or if you're doing like, if you're a small business and you don't have the ability to do an offsite, you know, right now with our you know economic standing, some companies may not be able to do that. They're, you know, fighting it. Yeah they open but even if you were to do like a mini session of some sort you know you want to get somebody in who or at least help help you figure out how to facilitate uh you know how to do that kind of a thing because it's not easy you you don't you really have the experience to be able to sit there like in a baseball game with a catcher's mitt and be able to return the ball effectively right yeah Yeah. and um you know so for those for those incidences you know I, i'd love to hear your your thought and feedback other than people calling you in england and saying hey listen can you help us with this <laughs> you know <laughs> which i would encourage yeah
2: yeah i mean absolutely <laughs> feel free to call anytime if you're not <laughs> yeah. facilitating um uh, yeah I, th- I think it's i think it's a really good question kind of what do you do if you don't yeah. have the means to yeah. To kind of bring in an outside facilitator, which does really help because first and foremost, it allows you to be in the room yourself right. rather than trying to run the thing, um, which which is a real plus. But I think, um, I mean, the first thing I would say is think about that structure that I talked about. See the individual, be the individual, unite the team, tackle the challenge together, plan your time together to take the time to learn about each other, to recognize each other, to value each other um unite the team often I think that can be done really well by recognizing great work that you've done and discussing it and reflecting on it um often it's really helpful to talk about projects that have gone past and talk about what went great but what can, mm. what would you change for the next time um and and then you can start to move towards um the kind of the more the kind of gnarly questions I would always recommend at the beginning of a a kind of day long meeting or couple day meeting that you give ownership of what everybody wants to achieve over to the group so you run a session at the beginning which is about okay what are we going to get out of the coming days and you can set a baseline ambition and then you can set a a knock it out the park ambition Mm -hmm. yeah so you give ownership of that to people and then the second thing that you should always do is write up a set of uh expected behaviors and these are behaviors that you all will hold each other to account for over the course of the coming days. So how are we going to be together?
1: Right. Now whether
2: it's in the room or whether it's on Zoom, you know. Um, And you everybody has the right to kind of call people out if they're not living up to the agreed kind of values and behaviors of the offside. And again, that's about creating ownership amongst the group, a collective sense of ownership for the success of the time together. Um, I think in the in a kind of COVID pandemic world, I would urge people not to spend too much time on screen. Um, you know, shorter sessions with breaks always work. Um, we've been hearing about a couple of, of clients actually of ours who've done things like because everybody can't eat together, they've had delivery, food delivery arrive at the same time on everybody's doorstep and then they've all kind of had the same meal, even though they're in their own homes.
1: That's which is a really
2: nice Really nice touch, right?
1: Yeah, that's pretty um, awesome, actually.
2: Yeah, it's really cool. It's really cool. Um, we've been doing quite a lot of kind of shared discovery type stuff. So we might put people in pairs and one person has to take the other one for a walk around their local neighborhood on the video or whatever it is. So there's lots of different things that you can do and in be inventive with the technology if you can't get together in person. Um, but aside, aside from that, yeah, I think, Set the agenda and the ambitions. Define how you're going to treat each other and how you're going to be. Don't jump the gun and try to get to the most difficult conversation soonest. Because if you do all of the right work in advance, actually solving the difficult bit won't take very long. Because you've built up the trust and you've built up the dynamic and the momentum amongst the group. Um, I would uh, try to be playful, create ways for people to, think about the subjects and the challenges in a more playful way. So are there things that they can use, you know, make things or draw things, or, you know, sometimes it's very hard to express yourself just through talking alone. So play to different people's skills and and creativity. You know, everybody has an innate creativity within them in some way, and um, I think that can always can go a long way to encourage people to play a little bit. Um, and, and then of course, I think really importantly, it's using a kind of agreed, you know, challenging feedback structure, like the BIF, you know, behavior impact, feelings, future model, and teaching people how to use something like that. So that then when they want to say something really hard and challenging, it's done in an appropriate way. Because that can derail things pretty quick.
1: So um, when, when people work through these things, Mm. What, what kind of outcome, like, if, if, like, should they anticipate seeing? And I think that's a really good question because I think some yeah. people may have a little bit of a misconception, right? So, you know, we have our, you know, leaders have their designs in their mind and I'm, I'm no different. I'm the same way that I, I see an outcome and they think that I have to work backwards, but really what we should be doing is figuring out how to put in, you know, the, the mechanisms to make this happen. But, Nonetheless, you know, when you're putting in that effort, what kind of desired outcomes or what should be the outcome as an end result? So that way, anybody who's trying to do something like this or really trying to take it to the next level has a very clear expectation and a reasonable one of what may or may not come out of these types of efforts.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, I think the first thing to do on that is think about what your present state is. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: What's the problem right now? Right and kind of describe that problem well you know half the team are feeling pretty down about something and we've had a few people threaten to resign and we've got a kind of problematic colleague who you know people feel like they need to be honest with about a few things whatever, whatever it is right mm-hmm. so you define the terms of the problem and then you think about a kind of an offsite meeting or a, a team you know session as the first stage in solving that problem yeah because change doesn't happen overnight change is like complicated and slow <laughs> uh, and you go backwards and you go forwards and if you ever known anybody who you know who has like tried to give up smoking or something right you know the change does just rarely it just happens overnight It's
1: like putting People on a brand relapse on shoes.
2: <laughs> yeah right um And so the first thing is think about that first moment of getting together and what you want to get out of that, but don't expect it all to be solved overnight. No. Um, And in fact, maybe one way of doing it is actually to say, okay, well, here's the problem. The ideal situation we'd like to get to is this and describe that, write that out, and then work back from it. But I would honestly consider um, if it's a kind of fundamental organizational challenge, you describe that, you think about a six-month window um, of, of progress towards the solution. The first get-together is with senior leadership to really kind of cut to the, the quick of the problem and to generate new, uh, form and establish new behaviors that might need to um, then be kind of rolled out. And then work with smaller cohorts of people across the organization to proliferate the agreed, the new behaviors. Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually quite often we, we do this for clients. We will put smaller cohorts of people through the same program as the leadership went through, but on a smaller scale. And so, so then you have a leadership with a change agenda and a set of new behaviors and, and answers and whatever. And then you start to, take others on the journey around the organization and suddenly you find yourself in meetings with like three or four people who've been through the plan and they're using different language and they're treating each other differently and you know whatever and and they start popping up everywhere and they're kind of like your agents of change and you start with the lowest hanging fruit you know the highest potential um, employees teammates with you know with great leadership possibilities and, and capacity and what have you and you slowly kind of work your way through the organization so that eventually at least half of the organization has been through the change program in some form.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, And honestly, and this sounds kind of rich coming from a consultant, but don't rush it.
1: Oh no. Don't rush it. can't rush it. Because it
2: it does, it does, it takes time. Yeah. And you're not going to get it all right either. So you're going to have to be willing to replan and tweak and change and Yep. you know, pivot a little bit, but that's okay.
1: Well, and that's, but that's very common in business anyway. I mean, it's, you know, right. you put together your strategic business plan and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, it's December. And that doesn't look like nothing like we were doing in January. <laughs>
2: exactly. And so it's interesting, right? Because yeah. we change our ambitions and our business strategies yes. overnight. But yet we seem to be very kind of rigid with how we expect people to behave.
1: Yes, and I think that's a problem. I mean, and you know, and our certain our our current environment certainly has taught some people that pretty hard lesson too, you know. Between, yeah. you know, twenty twenty, I saw a hilarious meme, um, I posted uh, actually up on our group site, and um, <laughs> and it was this. I thought it was hilarious, and uh, we have this thing called Wild Wednesday. And it says scientists finds thirty three creatures living in a cave that was sealed off for five million years, and somebody underneath posted, "Seal that cave back up and walk away." This is not the year, man.
2: (laughs) Very good, very good. Awesome. Yeah, that is very good.
1: Like no kidding, right? (laughs) We don't need one more thing to deal with.
2: (laughs) No, and but you know that's just life, right? And I think every year we've written a business plan, basically all of our 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 risks have kind of have happened but we're still going and yeah. you just you've got to be able to again I think as as leaders especially right and as people managers you've got to set ambitions and make them big and exciting and inspiring but then you've got to have the willingness and the vulnerability to say hey you know what? I think you're changing yeah. that's okay and I think one of the binds that people quite often get caught in is this idea of if I tell people things too early, are they going to hold me to account for them? Or if I tell them too late, are they going to be annoyed with me for not telling them until the last minute? Right. Right? Yeah. And we've, we have decided through, through kind of our own experience that we will always tell people early, but we will caveat it and say, we will give you as much um, transparency and forward notice of everything we're doing, but you've got to accept that it's going to change.
1: Yes and yeah. you know and there's an element that we haven't really spoken about it but you know the, this whole i this whole episode is based on fear-based conflict resolution and the big word is fear and yeah. fear tends to disappear when you're in action because yes. when you sit still that's when you get scared because you're not in motion but when you're in motion you're working towards figuring it out and not that it instigates bravery, but it takes you away from the fear mindset.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think the moment that you feel that you're making progress and that the progress suddenly hasn't led to all of your worst fears happening, um, you start to feel safe, right and you feel confident yeah. in your steps and actions. and again, it's kind of very much a part of behavior change thinking, right is if you're asking somebody to tackle a big scary Um, ambition that might have they might have a lot of fear around you have to paint out the journey in a whole series of small steps yes and then you have to recognize the steps as well recognize the progress little and often because then all of a sudden you've broken this big scary thing right down into like small manageable chunks that then that person's getting praise or, or recognition for achieving right and all of a sudden you've kind of eaten half of the challenge because uh, they've all been in little bite, bite-sized pieces. So I think fear is paralyzing. Fear is really poisonous as well. Fear is human, mm-hmm. um, and so we ha- we can't ignore that people will be fearful of things, and in particular, they're fearful of the unknown. Especially yeah. in, as as you said, you know, especially in cultures where we have for large, for many many years, largely been in control of our own lives and our own destiny. You know, yeah, and I think it's very interesting to look at cultures and communities um, around the world, frankly, who have lived um, uh, for much of their lives out of control, and what can we learn from that? Actually, is I think a really important question. How do they deal with ambiguity and the unknown? Um, and and so much of of that, I think, comes back to how you reward performance Mm -hmm. Um, and traditionally in kind of vertical organizations, performance is largely rewarded on wins, you know, and winnings predicated on knowing the answer. And so it goes round.
1: Yeah. It's Um, it's a vicious cycle.
2: It's a vicious cycle. Whereas if you rewarded uh, ingenuity and participation, right. And collaboration more so than other things, then um you might find that your culture starts to shift to one where people are more willing to be to feel comfortable in the unknown and the ambiguous
1: yeah and i think too it's you know i want to throw this out there before we wrap it up and Mm. that is i love what you're saying about rewarding ingenuity and and you know new ideas but you know don't for people who are listening it's like okay that's great but you know we still have a job to do well, you know what, that's your job as a leader. You know, a lot of people are listening in this show are, you know, HR pros, but that's mm-hmm. the thing is like, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, whether you're an HR pro that's working, you know, going one level up or working with the rest of the organization, if you want a reward for ingenuity and you, but you really want to make sure that people are are contributing towards ideas and potential, you know, new, things that will help the company move forward, you have to keep them focused in on what the objective is that you want them to start being ingenious about. (laughs) Yes. You can't just reward ingenuity for the sake of rewarding ingenuity because if you do that, that's great, but where's that going to go? Or if somebody brings to you an ingenious idea or something that sounds great, but the question really relies, goes back to, Does your idea help us sell more X? Whatever that is, right? Does it help with this widget or whatever, right? And if it doesn't align with that, it may be a great idea. It may also likely create more work that may not get us to selling more whatever that X is. But I think that's going to be a key point is that, you know, you want to reward ingenuity, but keep those individuals targeted on the number one business objective.
2: Yes, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, certainly at BA, we really believe that a really strong organizational culture drives the bottom line. Yes. And so then you say, if you're an HR professional, um, HR pro, you'd say, okay, what um, kind of culture do I want to foster here in this organization? Mm-hmm. What kind of culture is going to best serve us achieving our bottom line ambitions? commercial ambitions right right and then you can encourage recognize reward behaviors towards fostering that culture so it may not be ingenuity you know it might be support it might be um, momentum you know there's like any any number of things that can form your culture Um, and and you recognize the things that you believe are going to play the strongest part in fostering a culture that's going to drive commercial success right and that can come in so many different ways shapes and forms it doesn't always have to be about the light bulb idea that changes everything in fact it really
1: is right yeah so frankly. i think yeah i think getting some clarity on that will help too because it yeah. it does have to i love the ingenuity piece of it but if it doesn't fit with what the company's doing i mean look at spacex they never would have accomplished what they accomplished last week without people producing ingenious ideas but it of course always been focused in on the end result.
2: Yeah. And your, and your ingenuity, if that is something that you believe you need to foster might come through how people communicate with each other, right. You know, or the way they feedback to each other, or it doesn't have to be like the new product.
1: Right. I think
2: there's this, this very, one of the challenges with the word innovation of late is that people believe that, every, that, innovation exists largely in like the new product thing or the
1: yeah.
2: innovation can occur in, across a business. Yeah. Anywhere in the organization and the risk of having innovation departments is it kind of says to everybody else, you're not innovative. You can't be innovative. Only the innovation team can be innovative. Yeah. And we really believe that innovation can exist and ingenuity and whatever can exist everywhere.
1: Yeah, I agree. Well, wonderful. Yeah. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much for jumping on today. I appreciate it. Now, Thanks. Yeah, if people wanted to find you, how could they go about looking you up?
2: Um, the best place to find us is um, www.bandaequals.com, all one word. B and a You can find us on Instagram as B and A equals. Um, and, uh, on our website, we've got a blog section and you can subscribe to our newsletter and get a weekly dose of everything that's going on in our world.
1: <laughs> that's awesome. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate it. This is, I think this has been an awesome conversation.
2: Great. Thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed it.
1: Costa is a fellow speaker with me over at the Eagle Rice Speakers Bureau and has joined me in a prior episode for a very much anticipated interview. Um, And it was very timely and it still is timely right now as it pertains to concerns that everybody is having, including HR pros, risk management folks, about engaging in active shooter training. And it's one of those topics that's on everybody's mind. It's the least favorite that anybody really wants to think about, but it is one of the best deterrents that a business can put into place to prevent an active shooter situation from building and really becoming a reality. Now, he and I are working together to to help companies de-escalate the fear that employers have and build confidence in providing active shooter training to their employees. And honestly, employees are feeling like they have no other options if, if companies are not putting forth that kind of a training. Now I'm going to share with you just how you can learn more about how you can Uh, Join us and actually we are hosting a free webinar on Tuesday, August 4th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time You'll be able to ask your questions and see how you can positively impact your company and give your employees that peace of mind Really during a really scary situation and during a really scary time because quite honestly We're seeing more and more that's coming up as a result of workplace violence and This is just one of those many things that could potentially escalate now, if you've been considering joining the HR coaching program, the time is now. There's no time like the present, right? I'm not one for cliches, but I will use that one. Um, and there's been some more that's been added to the program. So when you join the program, you'll be able to receive access to the pre, the other recorded HR planning sessions that took place in the last week, uh, in the last couple of weeks, actually. And the Q3 HR planning session that is that was held on July 2nd in the Next Gen Women in Facebook group. Now attendance to the monthly roundtable session and and, in previously recorded sessions is also part of this coaching program that really is the heartbeat of it right there so if you're unable to to make it then um, you have the opportunity to actually go back and see all of what was said before. Now uh, you'll also be able to access the, the free course of Selling HR to Your Boss and How to Increase Your Yes Factor by 10x, and you'll get a free copy of my new audiobook that is releasing this week exclusively in the coaching program, um, and it is the 17 winning tactics for your HR career. Get it off the ground and steer it into the future. You lastly will get free access to the member resource site, which has an absolutely load of ton of great information in there and the coaching program really is helping the community of dedicated HR pros find their way and move forward through their challenges and one of the participants in the coaching program shared this about the most recent planning event that we did and that is her big takeaway was at the HR planning workshop was just the amount of time spent with HR professionals who lived in the same band space and that she's she's actually living in the same headspace no matter how much is on her plate or how much she's dealing with she now feels the comfort of knowing that she's no longer alone so it was a really really cool turnout and i highly encourage you guys to jump in and 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 take advantage of that now if you haven't caught it in the past week uh, this is the episode to watch i'm a co-host with the evil hr lady suzanne lucas who's actually been a prior guest on the show and we do a live weekly youtube program called the real hr show and this past week we talked about the gatekeepers of your company and how recruiters make that very important impact or lack thereof and does it hurt your company or does it not hurt your company? Um, Previously, we did a show on uh, PTO and how to help employees prevent burnout uh, because everybody's nerves are fried right now with everything that's going on. So you guys know, 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 know that we absolutely love your questions and that there's some pretty awesome, exciting changes that are coming down the pike, but most importantly, You can submit your questions on the bestpractices.work website and clicking the podcast link from the menu and down towards the bottom of that page is a submission form where you can go ahead and post your questions, which I may read and answer on an upcoming episode. Now, this is kind of an interesting one. I'm actually not going to answer the question. I'm going to address the answer. (laughs) This is kind of a little different, but this is a reason why I pay very close attention to what employees are asking. Okay, so the question that was posed on this on this shop on this uh, chat board was: Does HR act on complaints for former employees if illegal behavior was reported? Now, that's a really good question, and and I will answer it this: It totally depends. <laughs> it completely depends. If it was something illegal to where the organization has to make it right, then yes. But if it was something that was unlawful, it has long since passed. It's it's not something that it's got corrected by the employee being gone. It kind of depends on the situation. But here's the answer that somebody had put out there. And this I want you guys to hear because it is the mindset of employees. And it's a horrible mindset for any employee to have on their HR department or on the company. And a lot of people have this. And it goes to show that, yes, there's a great need to open up the aperture and open up the communication so that employees understand that companies do make decisions, they are not always gonna be privy to the information and to why. But on top of it, bet you 10 to one that whoever answered this has never really spent time looking at the role of HR, completely understanding it or mildly understanding it, or even actually taking the opportunity to just have a conversation with the company and better understand whatever they can, their com- their, organiz- their, their company's position, right? So here's the answer. Does HR act uh, on complaints for former employees if illegal behavior was reported? Uh, his response was to help dispel an apparent misconception. I would point out HR does not act for employees and that's not necessarily true. There's a lot going on that employees don't know behind the scenes of which companies do act on. The loyalty of the HR department more typically resides with the management of the organization they represent. My opinion, this guy has gotten spanked a few times in his career and does not take any responsibility for his actions. Now, granted, he could have some other issues, but when you use that word loyalty of HR and direct it towards the company, don't always necessarily agree with that especially when I know a lot of good employee, uh, good HR professionals who really are trying to find that balance. All right, so I'm going to go on. Don't be at all surprised to learn that they will take the most expedient course of action to shield the company from adverse action or impacts. Well, that kind of depends on what the situation is. And this includes taking no action where at all possible. So my feeling is that this guy has had a really bad experience with human resources, or he's been on the sidelines or sitting in, you know, his recliner quarterbacking and watching everything that's going on. Now, the reason why I say this with a lot more confidence than I normally would um, when I hear something like this is because I have been on that front line for a long enough time that these are the misconceptions that people bring up and I used to have them too until I took myself out of that seat and actually opened up my mind opened up my eyes learned a little bit more about what's going on had conversations asked questions because this is a believe it or not what a lot of employees that have seen in their opinion are bad decisions and they've never had an opportunity to talk about them They don't talk about them to their manager or their manager basically tells them to cork it. It's none of your business or they don't go to the HR department and say, listen, I'm really curious because I don't want to have the wrong impression about something. You may not be able to tell me, you know, why you made the decision, but I would really like to know the company's position on the best that you can explain on this. And when people have conversations, it's amazing what they learn. And it's amazing how much the world opens up. And you know what, right now, all of us are feeling what's going on because we're not having conversations. Everybody is purely reacting. Now, is that something that every HR person can do with every employee? No, it's not. But you know what, anything, the best way to help dispel this kind of mindset is that when an employee gives feedback on something and it has to get run up, Do not let it stop there. Always have feedback come back down. So somebody gives an idea, and I, I saw one of the best teams ever literally slowly die because their manager was so good at taking their suggestions, making them feel good about having a suggestion or a comment or an idea or a thought or how they saw something for the future. And they would run it up the line and say, hey, listen, my team is coming up and they're saying, we've got an opportunity. Here's some, you know, here's a suggestion to do this. Here's a recommendation. Here's an idea. What do we have the ability to, to do? And then he would come back down and then he would say, guys, listen, here's what we did. I took your information. I took your feedback. You know, you, you know, John, I did this, you know, Tom, I did this, Mark, I did this, Right. And here's the information that I got back. Do you know how valued people feel? And do you know how less of the gripe that I actually heard from those guys? Now, there were certain things that they, certain people that they did gripe about, but they only griped about people. They never griped about a department or they never griped about the leadership. It was because the leadership was hearing them and communicating, albeit sometimes not directly, Indirectly, but they did it through their own manager. The other ones that would only shut them down and clog them out, those are the ones that they spoke really, really poorly to. Now, if you take the entire team, it was about 90% of the guys that were really in favor of how leadership was working. It's that other 10%. And then you had another 10% were just kind of like, they really just didn't care. But I know that's like 110% if you do the the dirty math. So we'll say 80% we're in favor. That way I'm all balanced out, right? And you don't have to sit there and go, wait a minute. Did she actually count her fingers and toes on that one? Um, But you know what? It's not going to be perfect. But at least you can continuously move that needle to making sure that there's a good relationship between the employee and HR. And remember, they've had previous experiences and likely they aren't going to be good. And if they're a problem employee where they never take any accountability for themselves, they're going to continue to struggle with this. So it's not going to be 100%, but at least you can work on kind of moving it forward. Okay. So those are the kinds of things, believe it or not, I kind of went on a tangent, but it was a good one, um, that we actually talk about in the Next Gen Women in HR community. And we have real conversations in real time with real and really phenomenal people. And there are new and exciting changes that are constantly coming down. Uh, it's, it's continuously evolving within the group. Uh, we're now growing significantly and we're over 165 members and, what we really need right now is really, really great conversation. We need to stop absorbing and we need to start talking. And that's exactly what we're doing. So, if you'd like to learn more about how to find me and what I'm up to, you can hit me up on Instagram and Facebook at best practices in HR. Be- Ooh, I can't say it. Best practices in HR where I give some of the general updates and you know, all sorts of really cool announcements that's happening. But you can find me over at Brenda the HR lady on in Instagram where I share a little bit more about what I'm up to. And if you would like to connect with me professionally, you can find me on LinkedIn by using my name and it's at Brenda Neckbottle and that's N-E-C-K, V as in Victor, A-T-A-L. And then over on YouTube, I've been building a library of videos that you can find me again using my name. And I also hope co-host that show I mentioned to you earlier over the real HR show with the evil HR lady herself, Suzanne Lucas. And lastly, you can jump on the website at bestpractices.org where you can read up on the new updates that I called out earlier in today's episode. And this is something new that I decided to add. Just simply visit bestpractices.org, click on the podcast link, and you can get this week's articles. Also, while you're there... Click connect at the top of the page and you will get my best practices delivered once a month directly to your inbox. Thank you guys so very much. Uh, I can't believe... Uh, we're in the middle of the summer. <laughs> I mean, part of me believes it, part of me doesn't believe it. We had such an early spring, so it's nice because it feels like, you know, the season is lasting longer, but uh, that means that we've got another season coming right up behind us, and hopefully hopefully, the nice weather stays a little bit longer and we can enjoy as much outdoor time as humanly possible before we all have to shelter back up again for yet another cold Another cold season. So, hope you guys are doing well. Have a wonderful rest of the week. And uh, episode seventy got some pretty cool. We got some pretty cool stuff coming up. So, stay tuned, and uh, we'll talk to you all later.